Well, folks, welcome to the Noble Man Podcast. This is episode number 20. Um, I am Mike Young with Noble Warriors, and we are happy to welcome to our studio remotely uh, Sebastian Traeger. Uh, Sebastian is an entrepreneur. He's a kingdom-minded guy. He's done a lot of cool things. But my first uh, knowledge of him was through a book that he wrote called The Gospel at Work, How Working for King Jesus Gives Purpose and Meaning to Our Jobs. And I've got Sebastian's book here, uh, worn, marked up, uh, underlined, and uh, highlighted. And so I'm just thankful for a guy who wrote a book for Christian men about how to make work what God intended it to be. So, Sebastian, welcome to our podcast, and uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, first, Mike, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It's a joy to be here on The Noble Man, and uh, I'm just so grateful for you doing this and inviting me, and I just pray and hope this will be a blessing to all of your your listeners. Uh, so just a little bit of background about me. Uh, I, I spent about 20 years in the Washington, D.C. area, uh, living, working, worshiping there. I moved down to Richmond, Virginia about five years ago, which is where I live now, uh, married to Nikki. We've been married uh, almost 15 years, and we have four children ranging in ages from 2 to 12. Uh, so, yeah, really grateful for the Lord's kindness in my life, for an awesome wife, and just, just love my kids. I would say being a dad, I know we're talking about work today, but I would say being a dad is probably the work I am most excited about in life and, and really enjoy. You know, I'm, I'm going to dodge us off here just a moment and, and speak to that because uh, – our middle son is leaving today to go to Virginia Tech for his senior year of college. And uh, yesterday he had a problem with his truck, so he spent a good bit of time troubleshooting things and was wrestling with mechanic stuff. Um, and I woke up this morning thinking about that, and I thought, you know what? Part of our responsibility as dads is to fill our children's toolbox with tools to help them go and do great things and be what the Lord wants them to be rather than filling a case with trophies that makes them think they're already great. And um, so one of those is work ethic. You know, we teach kids work ethic along the way. What does it mean to to be useful in the kingdom and around the house? And um, so I, I'm going to start with this survey. We do a one quick question survey each week. And this past week, we asked guys, tell us about your first job. And the first job that many of the guys had was either mowing grass washing dishes, working at McDonald's. McDonald's came up over and over again. Uh, several guys were in grocery stores. They were delivering papers. There were themes here. They were working on farms. And so they learned some some uh, life skills and experience through that. I'm curious, what was your first job? Tell us your work history and how some of that formed your thoughts about this book. Well, my, my first job, I'm probably going to, believe it or not, I'm probably going to be right in line with a lot of your, uh, your what your survey said. My first job was at McDonald's. So awesome. I remember 14 years old. It was I turned 14, and that's when you could get a work permit, at least yeah. in the state I was in at the time, Pennsylvania. And uh, I remember just being really like, I want to go do work. I want to earn money. I want to like learn what that's all about. And there was a McDonald's about a mile away, so I could either walk there. My mom could drop me off there. So I went down and, and got a job. And so that was my first job. Uh, worked there for probably about six or nine months. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, again, a long time ago. Don't, don't remember a ton, but I do remember just, you know, just the first job I had where you put on a uniform, you kind of watch the videos of what you're supposed to do. You follow the system and you just kind of learn how to do a job, you know, that's, that's well done and meets expectations. So 
yeah, that was my first job. Wow. So what have you done since then? I know you've got quite a story. So tell us a little bit about that for our our listeners. Yeah, so I've always been entrepreneurial. So I would say after McDonald's, kind of throughout high school and even into college, I did a, a number of entrepreneurial, I mean, very you know, again, similar to some of your your, your survey, uh, kind of lawn care, uh, managed a cafe, had a carpet business in college. So I did some of those things that were a little bit more entrepreneurial. After college, I, um, uh, well, I thought my whole life I wanted to be an attorney. So that was really what I was set out to do. I wanted to be an attorney, mainly because I, I used to watch a TV show called LA Law. Yeah. And I thought it'd be really fun to argue in front of a, uh, in front of a, um, uh, you know, a jury and everything. And so I worked at a law firm one summer and I, I literally fell asleep every afternoon. And part of that was because I was 20 and I didn't realize that like, if you eat a big lunch, you're probably going to fall asleep in the afternoon. But, but honestly, it really, what it helped me realize is that my brain does not really think in paragraphs and prose. It thinks a lot better in numbers and bullet points. Yeah. And so I, I realized that, working in law was probably not the best fit for me because, but actually working in business was. And so I always tell like young people, like try to approximate what you think you want to do as early as you possibly can. And obviously I wasn't in a courtroom arguing, but just being in a, in a law firm environment really helped me to learn some things about myself and remove the, you know, maybe the mystique of a career and say, right. okay, this is what, these are actually the skills that you need to be successful in this. So uh, all that to say is I learned business was kind of going to be for me. And so I, I um, went and worked at what's called a management consulting firm right out of college, where we, we helped large companies do business strategy consulting. Our firm happened to be very data driven, which meant I learned Excel. I learned how to do financial models, business models, how to speak the language of, of strategy. That was incredibly useful for me. And it has been uh, literally my entire life. Yeah. Uh, I did that for a couple of years. Uh, I then left because I did want to do something more, uh, more entrepreneurial and hands-on. And so I joined another guy uh, starting a business in El Salvador. We were bringing wow. telecommunications services to the rural poor. And so this was one of the first, and again, this is, you know, before, uh, right now, there's like some really interesting business models around um, building profitable companies, serving kind of bottom of the pyramid. There were really none of those at the time. And so we, we were trying to launch something that uh, was able to not just be a, a donation and then we used your donation to bring a service, but actually make the service uh, as, we, as we sold it, it could grow because of the, the revenues and the profits we made. Um, did that for a little while. And this was kind of during the dot-com boom. And so uh, me and, a, and another buddy from college had a, an idea that we uh, that turned out to be a, an incredible ministry idea, but a really bad business idea, and that was to help pastors get their sermons online. And so again, this is back in the world where MP3 technology and podcasts weren't even a thing yet. And we yeah. were like, imagine a world where you could download any content instantaneously on a device. And I just remember back then, these MP3 players were n- enormous, and we'd carry them around and like plunk them on a pastor's desk and say, "Give us your tapes, and we'll put them on this device." Uh, and so, yeah, it was amazing. We created this enormous library of Christian content, which was great. Uh, we didn't, you know, again, we were so early to business models and really yeah. understanding that. Um, by God's grace, we were able to, um, you know, to turn that that idea. Uh, we, we sort of uh, were able to turn what we called Life Audio. Uh, we acquired a couple of companies. We built them up around the brand name Christianity.com. We built a, a pretty decent sized company providing 
consulting services to Christian organizations, as well as the domain Christianity.com and some streaming services. And we, we actually sold that business to a, uh, a publicly traded Christian company called Salem Communications. Right. Uh, so that was, again, I think by God's grace, we took an idea, a passion we really had and um, turned it into a business uh, serving Christian organizations. So that was kind of my first foray. I then launched a business around uh, crowdfunding for causes. Uh, it was called Razu. It's now been renamed Mighty Cause. And effectively, we helped anybody raise money for a cause or charity or personal, uh, personal uh, need that they had. Uh, and there's a number of platforms out there. Razu has raised over a billion dollars wow. for different causes, and it continues to operate to this day. So I, I launched that and uh, was, was involved with that for a while. Uh, I left that, and, and then I um, actually I, I took a little professional sabbatical, which is what we'll talk about for, for uh, uh, I know today, to, to write this book. Yeah. Uh, and so I took a little bit of time off, uh, just really felt a, a desire to put some ideas down in writing and really understand the topic myself more than anything. Um, and then just quickly to bring my professional career up to speed, I, um, I, I launched a, 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 a platform in the real estate space called five street. We helped agents, teams, and brokers respond to online leads. Uh, we were able to start and sell that business in 18 months, uh, to realtor.com. Uh, so we're able to build that pretty quickly. I then took a complete 180 and I went from kind of startup business land and I joined David Platt at the International Mission Board. So right. David Platt became the president of the Southern, of the, the IMB of the Southern Baptist Convention. He asked me to join him. And so I joined him as effectively the chief operating officer, uh, what we called the executive vice president. And I served in that role for about four years, um, almost to the day, four years. And uh, loved, loved working there, loved serving that community and working alongside David. David went back to pastoring and I actually went back to the business world and the technology world uh, kind of at the same time. And I'm now uh, running a business that is providing services to, to manufacturing, mining, and, uh, uh, and, and healthcare companies. So yeah. we, provide a, we provide kind of a problem solving uh, technology for them. So that's, that's kind of my story in a nutshell. Well, so that's a long spectrum. Tell me about how your faith plays a role in this, because it sounds like, <clears throat> excuse me, it sounds like early on you recognized that you wanted to do what you were doing with some sort of kingdom purpose all the way when, uh, what was it, in Ecuador where you started? El Salvador, yeah. El, El Salvador, yeah. Um, tell us how your faith played a role in that, and maybe what was your family like? I mean, did you grow up in a Christian home, so this was just part of the this broth you were cooked in, or what? Yeah, I, I, um, I grew up in a, in a home that, uh, that was Christian. My parents divorced when I was 12, so that was very confusing for me. Right. As somebody who always identified and understood himself to be a believer, what does it mean when your parents divorce? I think at the time, I wasn't actually a believer, and that was a confusing time. It didn't make me as rebellious as I could. It just made me more indifferent to things of God. When I got to college, by God's grace, I got pretty connected to the Campus Crusade yeah. there. And um, I went on a beach project one summer, and God really used that summer to change my heart. He actually used, and this is just an encouragement to some of your listeners, just a really simple idea of a friend of mine. So my roommate there that summer said to me one day, he said, hey, I noticed I noticed you never really read your Bible. You know, right. is that, is that important to you? And I'm like, ah, it's important, but 
you know, I'm, I'm not a morning person. It's hard to get up. I got stuff going on. You know, I was pretty, you know, I wasn't like completely dismissive, but I was pretty flippant about it. And he said to me, well, listen, if you think this is important, then when you go to bed at night, why don't you pray that the Holy Spirit will help you wake up? And then in the morning, I will physically help you wake up. And so uh, <laughs> what, what about that deal? And I was like, all right, I, it's hard to pass that up. And so by God's grace, over the next six weeks, I woke up. It was the first time I ever had consistent quiet times. Yeah. I really read the Bible cover to cover in a very short amount of time. I worked on a golf course mowing grass. And so I listened to sermon tapes. There were tapes back then all day and prayed all day. And God used that summer to just radically change my life. I think that's when I was converted uh, as a 19-year-old as a that summer. And it was really through reading God's word, through praying, and through uh, through just being in fellowship with other people. You know, I want to pick up on another element there, and that was you went on a beach mission project. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I just imagine, so we're parents of, I've got a 24-year-old, a 21-year-old, a 19-year-old, and a, and a 15-year-old. And uh, I can just imagine our peers saying, that's ridiculous. You're going to do a mission project to the beach, and, and we're not supportive of that. But just being supportive as parents in allowing our kids to be involved in mission, you develop some relationships there, it sounds like, and uh, some depth came out of that experience as well. So uh, just a, a plug for parents to encourage their kids in missions of any sort. Absolutely. I, I Again, for me, it was an incredible, incredibly life-changing experience. Obviously, can't can't promise that for every kid or sure. every parent, but it was really just that greenhouse I needed by God's grace. And one of the unique aspects of that was uh, being in relationship with 20-something-year-olds, early 20s, who uh, were really fun to be with, were really interesting, loved life, enjoyed life, but were godly yeah. and were actually on their own pursuing the Lord. And that was, that was really something I hadn't – I had always kind of come from the more you have to do these things instead of you want to do these things. Right. And so being around a group of people that were passionate about the Lord and life. I mean, again, this was not like, you know, let's, let's, let's chant and, and read our Bible all day, folks. This was like, we're having a blast. We're enjoying ourselves, but we're doing it in a godly way. That was really, that was really important for me at that age, for sure. Awesome. And, and so these experiences, this time, this pivot point, this transitional point in college uh, gave you some kingdom perspective. How, how did that kind of, permeate your work experience and your entrepreneurial mindset? <clears throat> yeah, I think, I think that I would say, um, I think I became a believer and by God's grace, I, you know, I've, I've been walking with the Lord ever since. And so that gave me kind of a kingdom mindedness. I would say though, it really wasn't until I sat down to write the book that I really understood God's purposes for our work. And so I would, I would say I was not dissimilar from, I think, a lot of passionate believers right. who love the Lord, <laughs> who want to see God's purposes, and and really can't understand those outside of the local church or missions work, or in my case, starting a business, getting sermons online, right? Where the, the work itself almost needs to be very directly gospel-centered <clears throat> or else, you know, it's, quote, secular and it doesn't really matter. And so while I was very kingdom-minded, which is really good, I still think I had a little bit of a misunderstanding of God's purposes for us in the workplace. Well, so start there and fill in that gap for us. What, what I mean, you're entrepreneurial, but not everyone who listens to this is entrepreneurial. We've got some folks that are 
working hourly jobs. They're doing various things. But the message of your book is no matter what God has you doing, you can be his representative, his his ambassador, uh, I believe. So so give us some perspective on that, that that God revealed to you. Sure. So the the big idea of the book is uh, and one that I, I try to repeat often is who you work for is more important than what you do. So who you work for is more important than what you do. And that that one idea, right. I think, really shapes the Christian's work and life, because suddenly when you recognize that the most unique thing about your work as a Christian is that you do it as one saved by the king in mm-hmm. service to the king, that all of my work is unto the king. When that, I understand that to be the most unique thing about my work, suddenly the particulars of my job, while not unimportant, I never want to say they're unimportant, are much less important in relation to that. And I realize that if I'm working for the king, there are so many different jobs I can have that I can do faithfully, that I can do with excellence under the king, that I can do with joy, that honestly I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have tension in and difficulty in. Uh, but there's, there's many different assignments I can have, but if I'm doing them under the king and, and for his glory, that is what is the most unique thing about it. And so I think it's a tremendously freeing thing when you realize, okay, I, for a season I was helping get sermons online. That's, it's a little easier to connect the dots between my work and, and, and it sort of being a, an important thing, if you will, for God. You know, when I get to being uh, working at McDonald's, that feels a lot further out. Like, how on earth does that make a difference from a kingdom perspective? But that's exactly where you need to realize it's who you do it for that is the massive issue. And the what you do is like a much smaller thing. And when you see that, then you get the freedom to see like, oh, okay, putting sermons online, working at McDonald's, both can be very God glorifying as they're done unto the Lord. So l- let me ask you this, because the, the person who's working at McDonald's or who's doing IT for Capital One or something like that, they may struggle to see, OK, I hear what Sebastian's saying, but I don't I don't I don't understand. I can't make I can't make that connection. So help us help our listeners understand how do you make that connection? How do I glorify God when I'm working at McDonald's or when I'm slogging away at a computer, at a terminal, in a cubicle, or, well, probably at home in a basement now, I guess, with the, with the COVID situation? But how, how do I do that to the glory of the Lord? Yeah, I think we have to start with understanding work biblically yeah. and theologically. So we, we have to start there and understand God's purpose for work. So God created us to work, right? Work is not part of the fall. Work is actually God's design in his creation. Who was the first who was the first person in the Bible to work? It was actually God, right? God right. in the beginning, God created. So work starts with God. And so as his image bears, when he created Adam and Eve, he created them in his image. And part of what it meant to be made in their image is that they were going to work, right? As I work, so you work. And so with, with the same creativity, the same excellence, the same attention to detail, the same joy, all of these things, Adam and Eve were told to work. And in fact, their first job was to name the animals, right? They were actually given a job assignment right away. This is what you're to do, which is really interesting if you think about it. It seems like a fairly menial secular task, if you will, name the animals, right? It's not right. It's not like tell the animals about Jesus. It's actually name them. So so here we see in the, in the Bible story of work, right away that we all are created to work. We're to be God's image bearers. 
And I think understanding that is one of the keys to work is that, oh, I am to be an image bearer of God. I am to, I'm to image and represent God in all that I do. That is actually how I'm supposed to be doing my work. And so suddenly we can see whether I'm at Capital One doing IT or I'm a pastor, I can image God, right? I can, I can do my work. I can do that job in a way that makes a watching world see that is what God is like, right? He's hardworking. He's works with integrity. He's fair. He's kind. He's pays attention to detail. He, he doesn't grumble and complain, et cetera. This is what it means to be an image bearer. So I think, I think we got to start there and really root our identity and work in God's uh, really God's uh, design for us as workers. Yeah. You know, one one variable I would add to what you just said is that um, God is creative also, and he expects us to be creative in our solutions to problems and the way we go about things. Um, I, I love to encourage guys to figure out how to do something differently to solve problems well. Um, and and I, I actually like using, I mean, I don't, I don't at all disagree with creative. I 100% agree with that. I like to use bringing order out of chaos Yeah. first because we see it in Genesis one and two. And then secondly, because I think people are creative in different ways. I agree with you from a problem solving perspective. When we talk about creativity, we often talk about it in terms of like, I know how to put colors on a page and that kind of creativity. But I think to your point, problem solving is creativity and order out of chaos is really creativity. It's, and that's what I think we do when we work, right? We have, kind of a plot of ground that God has given us, a domain, if you will. And we are told, go and bring order out of that chaos. Whether the chaos is, you know, I'm, I'm home after, or I'm, maybe I care for my children all day, and that's fr- fairly chaotic. Well, how do I bring order and structure to that? Or maybe the chaos I'm dealing with is IT systems that are uh, poorly designed or are growing like crazy, and I need to bring order out of that. Or maybe the chaos is there's a, there's a, a a law brief that I have to work on and I need to kind of understand the law and condense it and synthesize it and summarize it for a particular client. So there's all kinds of ways to, to, you know, again, to be creative, to bring order out of chaos as we, as we image God and represent him. And as we bring order out of chaos, we are, we are literally doing what God designed us to do in the work, in the work that he's given us to do. I, I agree with that wholeheartedly and would, would add to that, that, um, as I'm talking to the parents of children of all ages, I remind them, you know, God gave Adam the responsibility to take dominion over the earth. And so for a high school student, the, the, the piece of earth that you have to take dominion over may be your room or your locker or your backpack. And what you do with that uh, is valuable. And it's training for the future. I think about young kids, and we used to have our kids pick up toys and, and bring order into chaos in our home. Um, and so that's the beginning of painting this picture of what it means to do profitable work that uh, ultimately can be honoring to the Lord in this way. Is, is that fair? As Absolutely. A... I mean, I, I think on that point, just encouraging your listeners, anyone who's a dad or a parent has younger kids, you can start teaching them a yeah. very practical theology of work very early on. That's right. Help them see that, you know, what it means to be made in God's image is that you do, in fact, work. Yeah. That the, the default is not sitting on a couch playing an iPad, right? Exactly. The default is actually doing productive work uh, as under the Lord. And, and exactly to your point, help them to see that all of us have assignments from the Lord. All of us do, right? Right. Whether it's, you know, maybe it's very small, like putting, you know, setting the table 
or maybe it's cleaning your room. Obviously for kids in school, it's doing their schoolwork with excellences under the Lord uh, and helping them see that, that doing that work as unto the Lord is, is the assignment God has called them to. And then I think even on kids, just while we're here, not only helping them see that like the rhythm of work is doing work with excellences under the Lord, representing and imaging him, bringing order out of chaos, but also I think it is helpful for us as parents to help us understand how has God given my child particular skills and right. gifts yeah. that could be useful. And, and this is where I think we need to be careful. I, I don't, I don't really sign up for the like, you know, dream big dreams and you could be whatever you want to be. I don't really sign up for that. I also don't sign up for a fatalistic, like God only has one thing for you. I think as parents, we come alongside our kids and we try to apply wisdom and say, okay, listen, there, there's probably a number of different things you could do, but let's try to think through where, your skills, your, your kind of natural abilities right. overlap with opportunities out there and what you might be interested in doing. Um, and that's kind of what I did when I told the story about working at a law firm and then realizing, you know, I'm really a business person. I would have loved to learn that lesson eight or 10 years before. Absolutely. Right? Like, I, like I mean, you, kids you, are kids are all wired differently. And right. my goodness, you've got four, I've got four, and we see how different they are. And so the idea of helping them find the right pathway that might have a number of options, but there's certainly some things that you will say no to along the way is a huge gift that we can give to them. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, my goodness, we could we could stay there forever. Let me let me talk about this other aspect. Uh, last week, I talked with a guy on the podcast about identity and men, and mm-hmm. one of the keys that we find is generally when guys are having a conversation, they'll, they'll they'll learn each other's names. And almost always the second question is, what do you do? Um, because we are marked so much um, by our occupation, the way we spend our time, what our job is. And so that can become, I'm, I'm going to set you up here for a conversation, I think, because we can lean so much into that that <clears throat> in your book you say that work can become an idol for us and and we lean too far in that direction it becomes an extreme issue or we can be so reluctant or um, negative towards work that we become idle at work and I just love the wordplay there work can become an idol I-D-O-L or we can become I-D-L-E at work. I want to make sure I spelled that correctly as I'm saying this. So uh, unpack that uh, dichotomy, if you will, a little bit for us and, and what you see there. Yeah. So let's go back to God's design for work to help us understand why our work can be an idol to us and kind of consume us, or we can retreat from it and be idle in it. So, so we understand God created us. Uh, and, and remember in the garden, there was no separation between work, worship, family, right? All those things were the same. Okay. There was no, there was no, I go worship now, or I go work now. It was all the same thing. We, we actually would not have struggled in the garden to work and worship at the same time. Mm. The fall, of course, in Genesis three changed all of that. And so for Christians to understand and properly put work in its context, we have to have an understanding of the fall in, in Genesis chapter three. So what happens in the fall? Well, Adam and Eve sin against God, and God sets out a judgment against them, right? One is uh, 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 they will be separated from God, right? They, they, will, they will no longer enjoy perfect fellowship with God, but they'll be separated from Him. And of course, 
part of that is the final separation of death. So death enters the world, separation from God enters the world in fellowship, and God also curses our work and he makes it toil, he makes it frustrating, he makes it difficult. No longer is work and worship the same thing. These are now separated like they weren't designed to be. In the same way that there's now difficulty between men and women because there's difficulty in childbearing, there's difficulty right. in our work, all of these things happen in the fall. So I think that's the beginning, if you will, kind of the theology of why work can sometimes lead us to uh, to, to, idolize, to, to be idle and, and, and also lead us to um, be idle. And, and it kind of makes sense. So if, if work was something created to be part of our built-in identity, and if work and worship were at one point joined together, then it does make some sense that as as our sin and as the temptation of the world takes over, we now go from worshiping during our work to worshiping our work itself. Yeah. Right. And so now work becomes an idol of ours. Work becomes something that defines us instead of something we get to do out of our identity. And so I think a lot of people struggle with this. A lot of people struggle with the idea that that their work is, is where they find their worth. Their work is where they find their identity and it gets very wrapped up together. They, they hold work to be the most important thing. Uh, it can be even more important to them in their lives than Jesus. And I think when that happens, we start to realize we are making an idol of something, you know, in, in a, uh, if you remember Indiana Jones, I think it was in the temple of doom when he like grabs that idol, right? Idols back then, uh, I think it was Raiders of the Lost Ark actually, were those little statues that you kind of bow down to. Right. Well, biblically speaking, that can be what an idol is, but really what an idol is biblically is something you organize your life around. Exactly. It's something that takes the highest priority. And so I think we make work an idol when we organize our lives around it, when it becomes the kind of the centering focus of our lives. And a question as innocuous as what do you do? Again, I, I don't want to, I ask that question plenty of times. It is helpful just to kind of get a sense of who somebody is, but I agree with you. It also kind of shows that in our culture, it's a massive thing that we center our lives around. Yeah. So, all right. So you just hit on something there that, that makes me want to, to pivot a little bit here. I, I hear from a lot of guys, I'm more comfortable at work than I am at home because I understand the rules at work. I know how that goes. And so some guys lean into that um, because there are measurables there. It's um, there are defined processes and that feels masculine. There's reward there. And so they often will cheat their families because they spend more and more time and energy. Uh, they give more of their best selves to their work experience. So talk to the guy who um, might be awakening to the fact right now that, hey, I am investing too much of myself in work and I'm I'm, I'm not taking care of some other responsibilities that God has given me. My first responsibility to to love my family well. How, how do you do this in a way that honors God with our work, but still maintains healthy life balance somewhere with family, marriage, uh, personal maintenance? Great question. So if you're listening and you're a man struggling with that, you need to understand the biblical paradigm of what God has called you to. So Christians are actually not called to live balanced lives. They're, they're actually called to live sold out lives. Hmm. So what are they called to live sold out lives for? 
their first responsibility, all of us as Christians, our first responsibility is actually to God. It's to love the Lord our God with all yep. our heart, soul, strength, and mind, love our neighbors, ourselves. We're to be sold out living for King Jesus. So that's kind of the number one thing. If you kind of imagine a, 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 a hierarchical chart, right? That is our number one assignment, right? Um, live for, for Jesus. Now, all these other points underneath it, these assignments God gives us are ways in which we do that, right? So we're living for King Jesus with our entire lives. I do that personally. I do that in my family with my wife and my children. I do that in my work. I do that as a member of a church. I do that in my community. These are all, these are all assignments that God gives me in which to live out that one big idea of glorifying God. So one thing you could do if you're a man is you could actually ask yourself, okay, so if I'm trying to live fully for God, sold out for him in all ways, how am I doing against all the different assignments that God has given me to do? How am I doing in my own personal time with the Lord? Right. And just ask yourself, you know, you can just do a simple, you know, green, yellow, red or something and just say, generally speaking, am I being faithful in that assignment to the Lord? How am I doing as a husband if you're married? How am I doing as a father if you have children? How am I doing as a worker? How am I doing as a churchman? How am I doing uh, just in my community? And so all of a sudden, it's, you know, it's if you're being unfaithful in any one of those assignments, then you are you are not living as unto the Lord. And this this happens all the time, right? Where, right. where one of these assignments, we make an idol. And so we spend more of our time and attention in this one area to the deficit of another area, right? And so that's, I'd say step one is you've got to understand that paradigm. And then step two, kind of do a mini grading of yourself against that. How am I doing living faithfully to that one big calling, which is, which is to be sold out to Jesus? And then when I think you start to do that, this idea that, you know, I, I'm good at work and I understand it, but I don't understand my home. Guess what? You're called to be faithful in both. Right. Right. So that's great that one of those came really naturally to you. You don't have to do a lot of work to be faithful there, but guess what? It means you need to learn what it means to be faithful in another area of your life. What does it mean to be faithful in, you know, fill in the blank. If it's, if it's, if it's uh, being um, a, a father to your children, what does it look like to be faithful there? Uh, and so, yeah, I would say that that'd be my advice to that person is don't deceive yourself into thinking that that's a casual thing, that it's just a matter of skill. It's actually potentially a lack of faithfulness on your part that you need to repent of. And you need to uh, recognize that this is something that God has called you to do to grow in this area. I agree 100%. I, I tell you, a couple of images come to mind. One is that I've got a friend who says, if we call ourselves children of the king, then we ought to act like we we serve the king. And so um, what does that look like? We're living under the shadow of King Jesus covering all of these things. Um, and then you're mentioned about a green, yellow, red. I mean, how most of us are familiar with the concept of a dashboard. We could set up very simply some sort of dashboard where we rate ourselves how am I doing in particular areas? Um, well, and, and I'd even go one step further and encourage like any, any, anyone listening, really man or woman, yeah. like find an accountability partner. I mean, yeah. that, that framework is what I use in my accountability with, with another person and yeah. just say, Hey, whether we can meet 
once every, and I try to keep it very low. Let's meet every two weeks for like 45 minutes. We're all busy. Um, let's just kind of look at these different areas of our lives and see how we're doing and pursuing faithfulness and which areas do I need you to speak into? Because I'm, I'm just, you know, either being lazy or, um, I'm, yeah, I mean, in, in fairness, maybe I'm very busy in one area. So maybe faithfulness in another area looks a little bit different during a season of life, but, um, you know. Yeah, absolutely. The season thing, because I think there are times when we might be, this part of our lives might be intense and another part be less intense, but we've got to get that back to, um, we've got to get that back in proper perspective. I, I'm so glad you talked about having someone else in your life. Um, I, I talk about the fact that men need other men. I call them wise guys. I don't call it an accountability because a lot of guys don't like that word, but the whole idea of pursuing some guys who will share some wisdom with us is huge. Well, listen, as, as you've helped us a lot here, let me, in our current situation, um, there are guys out there who are wrestling with, I, I may lose my job, I may lose my business, um, I, I'm struggling, my wife is working, she's the only one who's bringing in some money for our family right now. There. This COVID-19 situation has created some new paradigms that is challenging for a lot of guys. So given your what you've taught us already about the theology of work, how do you help a guy wrestle with uncertainty that the future, I mean, we just don't know some of these things right now. How do you find peace in the midst of that as we think about how important work is in our lives? Yeah, I mean, for, first it goes, you know, anyone who has lost their job or is really struggling financially, I'm very, you know, sorry. It's, it's just, it is very difficult when that, when you're going through that and uh, it's emotionally taxing, it's spiritually taxing. And so that is a hard situation. I think on one level, again, we need to recognize that we are in a fallen world. And so while that can sadden right. us, it should not surprise us. And so that does help a little bit. It's a reminder that things are not the way they're supposed to be. And whenever we see that the world is not the way it's supposed to be, that should remind us that God is on his throne and that, that Christ has redeemed us and we are living in the now and not yet, right? That God will make all things new at some point, but we're not there yet. So just be reminded of that, that that is actually, I think God gives us these glimpses in kindness to us to remind us that this world is not what we're living for. And so don't, don't miss out on that own devotional part in your own life of reflecting on that. But, but turning like more practically to a particular situation and circumstance, I think this is where it's very helpful, that idea that who you work for is more important than what you do. Right. And I would say gird up the fact that God is the one who gives you assignments. And I don't understand why God gives some people the assignment of unemployment. I don't understand why God gives other people the assignment of underemployment. I don't understand why God gives some people the assignment of failing business owner. I don't understand that. In the same way, I don't understand why he gives some people the assignment of incredibly successful business owner or perfectly employed, suited to your job in the exact way that you want, right? The dream job. But it's not the circumstance that we need to root our hopes in. It's the God who provides those assignments that we need to root our hopes in. And we need to learn what does it mean to be faithful as an unemployed person? What does it look like to be faithful to God as an underemployed person? What does it mean to be faithful to God 
as a failing business owner? What does that look like? How do I, how do I steward that assignment? It's very easy to steward or easier, let's say, to steward the like incredibly successful, how do I give back, you know, kind of one. But I think it's, it's more challenging. And I think God will give you the grace as you recognize what does it look like to steward that. And I think one thing it looks like is not really being ashamed of being un- unemployed. Yeah. Right? Like, honestly, God is the king of the universe. He has saved me. He's redeemed me. I was his enemy. I don't even know why he enlisted me, but he did. And he gave me an assignment. And what is that assignment, right? We all want to be tank commanders and generals. And, <laughs> and we all want to be the ones who are like pushing the front. But guess what? For some of us, he looks at us and he says, for this season in life, for this time, I want you to go dig that ditch over there. That's right. And we're like, I don't get it. How does this fit into the general's plan? And so again, it's when we when we think about like I'm digging a ditch right now that's so lame, that's how we often think about it. But if instead we frame it as, whoa, the king of the universe has decided I'm on his side and he's asked me for this particular time to dig a ditch in this incredible plan he has unfolding. That's amazing that I get to be a part of it. That's really the mindset that we want, not like focusing on how lame the ditch digging is, but on how great the king is and that we actually get to do any assignment for him. And, and so I know that that might sound like platitudes or wishful thinking, but, but I'm telling you, that is what you need to train your mind in thinking is that you are working for the king. And so what does it mean to be faithfully unemployed? Honestly, I think one thing it means is Give yourself eight hours to look for a job that day. Right. Don't think about it all day. Don't let it affect your parenting or your uh, or your uh, uh, being a husband. You know, recognize that yeah, there's some financial constraints, and you need to be faithful with your finances during that season. But God could you know immediately change those circumstances for you. You just be faithful and working hard, working smart, and trusting God that in His due time, He'll open the right door. God is not unaware of the fact that we have a mortgage due or that there is food that we need to purchase or there's a medical concern. And so we we tend in those crisis moments, I think, to take sovereignty into our own hands. We want to be the sovereigns of our lives as opposed to uh, releasing that to the Lord and allowing him to be the sovereign one. And we just try to control so much. Yeah, and there's, there's kind of two practical ways I've tried to internalize that. One is that phrase I just used, work hard, work smart, right. trust God. That's been kind of a motto of mine my whole life, which is I want to work hard, right? I want to put in the time, be diligent. You know, I want to make sure I'm whatever hours I think are appropriate. I want to be focused during those hours. So I want to work hard. I think that is part of what it means to be faithful. I also want to work smart, right? right. I want to make as best as I can, good decisions. I want to seek counsel. I want to, you know, in my case, I'm more entrepreneurial. So I want to be scrappy. I think all of these things uh, are, I want to prioritize my time are working smart, but at the end of the day, more than anything, I want to trust God. And when I think of trust God, I think of it as like to, to introduce, like to have the right conversations with the right people, to find the right opportunities, to um, figure out even how my finances are going to go a little further, all these different ways are opportunities that ultimately, as I work hard and smart, it doesn't, I think in our society, we think hard work and smart work equals success. Not necessarily. Sometimes hard work and smart work just equals whatever God has for me. But like trusting God with those results, whether whether like obviously good or obviously not so good, 
that's really not in our control. We just have to do the two that we can control and trust God for those other elements. And we can't forget that he's constantly shaping us and conforming us to the image of his son through these processes. And for some of us, we need the experience of uh, being stewards over a, a fortune or some business or some enterprise. For others of us, we need the experience of what we learn in a season of unemployment or underemployment, as you've noted. Or, you know, I, it, it's funny you use the ditch digging analogy. My dad, uh, this great philosopher, um, told me all the time, he said, son, I don't care what you're doing. If, if you're digging ditches, I want you to make sure that bottom is clean, the roots are clipped on the side, that it's, that it's a clean, well-dug ditch. And folks look at that and said, someone took pride in what they were doing. And, and that even can become an idol at some point. But the idea sure. is, let's do what we're doing well and um, not be moaning about it and do a shabby job so right absolutely yeah. well listen let me let me bring this to a close and ask you any final words of encouragement or thoughts did we miss anything that uh, you would love for guys to hear uh about taking the gospel to work yeah and, and you know I've, I've said this i just want to end on it just yeah. who you work for is more important than what you do just thinking about that i think that simple idea has a profound effect to change your heart. And then recognizing in a fallen world, the temptations to make work an idol, to over-identify with work, to care about your work more than you care about, about Jesus, or to under-identify with your work, to sort of say, because I'm not doing something more important, because I'm not doing something I like, then, then it doesn't really matter how I do it, are great temptations of ours, right? In the case where we where we might make an idol of work, we're, we're tempted to elevate our work above uh, our, our faithfulness to the king. And in, this, in the sense of, of not caring about our work enough, I think sometimes it's like, hey, no, the, the king has given you an assignment. You need to do it faithfully as under him. So that, that I would say, and, and then just that this other part we touched on is that as a Christian, it is not optional to be faithful in these other assignments it is part of what it means to be a Christian. And so if you're struggling to be faithful in one assignment, because another one is taking all of your time and attention, find a friend. I mean, I love, yeah. I love your, your, um, your wise men idea, find a wise man, uh, who you can surround yourself with, open up your life to them and ask them to help you think biblically, theologically, and practically, about what needs to change in that area of your life so that you can pursue uh, faithfulness. Awesome. Hey, uh, so the book is still an awesome resource. And I, I when you were talking about you didn't uh, do life in paragraphs, you did them in bullet points and numbers. I love how you even number the points in your book. I love reading books like that. And so it's very easy read for guys uh, pick it up, The Gospel at Work, uh, your website, thegospelatwork.com. They can even uh, sign up and get a study guide for the book. There are also some uh, videos there of where you guys have spoken at various events and so forth. So there's some resources available on work. Um, anything to add to that? That's everything. And of course, Amazon has the book. Yep. And uh, it's actually in a number of different languages as well. So if, uh, Spanish or Korean or Russian of all things. So just, yeah, just... I, I've just praised God that, that people have been blessed by it and, and thankful that 
I mean, honestly, I wrote the book sort of to myself. Yeah. And so it was, if you look at the book, it's got questions and then it answers those questions. And it was effectively like questions I have Yeah. and really just want to read the Bible and understand it for myself and then sort of share those answers with other people. That's, that's kind of what we did. Well, and so I'm glad you mentioned the Bible at the end. Guys, I would go back I, for men's discipleship. I think you've got to live in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. You've got to understand God's original design for men for his leadership in the family and 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 God's plan for man, and you've got to understand the curse. If you get Genesis 1, 2, and 3, man, it helps you sort so many other things out. So live in the Word. They're great encouragements uh, in Proverbs and even some in Psalms with, with work. Uh, I think when you read the Gospels, you see Jesus working, you see Paul working in, in the New Testament church. And so they're great examples of work that you can pick out. If you read God's Word through a lens of someone who's trying to understand work, there's a lot there. There are also some other great resources. Winning at Work and Home uh, is a men's fraternity series that helps with work. A Man and His Work is from 33, the series. Um, Taking God to Work is another book about uh, the gospel and, well, Christians walking out their faith at work. And um, I, I would just also, guys, encourage you to pray that God would give you wisdom and insights about the assignment that you currently have. And maybe there's something here that you've heard today that you put into action. Maybe it's building yourself a dashboard of how you're doing yeah. with all of these various assignments and being willing then to go sit down with someone. It might be your wife. It, it might be someone else and say, hey, help me grade myself in these areas because I want to know where I'm doing um, less well so that I can beef up those areas and maybe I need to dial back in some other areas in order to be faithful to the Lord's assignments to me. So, um, guys, we'll be back next week. We're going to talk about a man and uh, finding a sense of well-being. So that'll be next week's assignment. Sebastian, thank you so much for your time, for joining us here, and for the work that you, uh, for your obedience to the Lord in all of your assignments, but especially in writing this book. God bless Thanks, you Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. Yeah, appreciate Great it. Great stuff.